Welcome to On the Road with Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from the Idle Chatter family of podcasts. I invite you to jump in and join me. Along the way, we will get to know some really interesting people and their stories. Be it farming or firing orders, these folks are passionate about growing things or making horsepower. So let's get this bad boy fired up and head off to destinations unknown. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to On the Road. We got a really special show here, and this show is coming to you, obviously, from Cat Swamp Road, but it's ending up in Tennessee, in Nashville, Tennessee, via Illinois. And you say, how can that possibly be? Well, my guest today is a world-renowned person in finance. But you say, hey, Hot Rod, you know, you, you want to co- cover people that are either passionate about cars or agriculture, engines or agriculture, right? Firing us. Well, this man grew up on a farm, a dairy farm, milking cows, his family farm. And even though he went into the world of finance, which we're going to discuss, and uh, I'll, in a minute, I'll tell you all the places that he, he's, you could see him and hear him, but his passion for agriculture comes through and his roots and he never lost who he is so i am so proud to announce scott shelady i hope i pronounce it correct rhymes with melody that cow guy from rfd tv all other many places scott you tell us welcome to on the road you tell us where people could see you and hear you uh, you can give me an rfd tv central time uh from 10 30 to 1 every day uh for a show we call Market Day Report, which is basically like a rolling news report, and I do the markets for that and those segments. And then at the at that one o'clock, I have my own show from one to one thirty, and that's the cow guy close, and that's five days a week. So from ten thirty to one thirty, uh, five days a week, you can catch me on RFP TV. I know we could catch you there, right? But you're being, you know, I told you he's a farm boy, so he's being a, he's being too modest here because he's an internationally <laughs> recognized guy with, in finance. This guy's high finance, baby. All right, the cowboy. He's a he's an adjunct professor of finance in DePaul University. He's a frequent contributor to Fox News, Fox Business, CNBC, BBC, CNN, and Sky. All right, he's also heard on AM five sixty in Chicago, WJOB in Indiana, and he writes financial articles for a number of very famous newspapers around the world. So, so we set the stage already. This guy's a farm guy, right? He says, oh, I'm just on RFD TV. But Scott, I just want to, I need to know the, we need to know the story. Everybody sees you with the cow jacket on. They hear you, they see you on television, but we need to know the, the story that got you there. So if you'll please be kind enough to turn the calendar back and let's, and Let's let's know the the man behind the jacket. Oh, uh, sure. Um, everybody has to. That's fun. It starts back in uh, 1962 uh, when my father graduated from uh, Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. He grew up on the banks of the Mississippi River in a small town called Muscatine, Iowa. And uh, if I told you, I would not be exaggerating if I told you, you probably don't know anybody anybody poorer. He never had an address growing up as a kid, um, and he never, ever had running water or electricity in his house, ever. Wow. Until he got a scholarship to play football for Drake University. That's the first time he'd ever touched a light switch. And he supported the family with a paper up. And so he was extremely poor. And uh, But he had a drive, and that drive got him into athletics because he could compete. 
Um, he was a fantastic tennis player and also a very good football player. But he got uh, invited to go to the university or Drake University, and that's where he met my mother. My mother was solid upper middle class. Um, her father was in the army as a sergeant colonel. I think that's a I don't know if that's it. I wasn't in the army, so I'm not sure if that's exactly. Anyway, uh, he was an officer, and um, uh, he, she was born while he was away in World War II. But anyway, they they got together at Drake University, and um, my mother's father took a liking to my dad because he was just he was a scrapper. He didn't have anything. He, you know, he didn't have two nickels to rub together, but he, he somehow got through, and and he was hired by Cargill out of uh, Drake University in 1962. And back then, Cargill only hired uh, once a year. So in, in, in Cargill lore, they'll call it the class of 62. And then they had a class of 63. I don't think they do that anymore. I'm actually sure they don't do that anymore. But so that's where the agricultural thing started. So my father, and he had an act for that. And he's competitive as, as, all, you know, as, as hell. He he always wanted to be the winner. And uh, he did well with Cargill. And he did well enough that when well, I was born in Des Moines, Iowa, because my folks got married there. And then uh, they lived there for their mom. So my brother and I were born in Des Moines, Iowa. And then my father got transferred up uh, up to Lake Minnetonka. I think the story there is it's pretty funny. But um, when he got that job for Cargill, he got put in charge of selling salt. Cargill is a big salt seller. Um, nobody really knows that, but they 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 have some big salt plants in actually around Chicago and Indiana. But um, he was driving back from he said Ohio, and he was going around uh, Lake, Lake Michigan, you know, Indiana around Lake Michigan in Illinois. But he stopped because he saw a huge manufacturing plant on the lake and he wondered, you know, do they use salt? And what if they use salt? You know, he was, he was 23, 24 years old at the time. And, uh, and so back then they didn't have, you know, there was a receptionist in the main lobby, but they didn't have, there was no security, right? They didn't have, right. and he showed up unannounced and was able to get up to the purchasing manager of this place. And, and he had all of his, you know, his, his gun, the, the, the things he was trying to sell for Cargo and, and, and Cargo still had a very, very good name back then. So, they did make time for him. And um, as a 23 year old sitting across from the purchasing manager, the guy asked him, you don't really know who, where you're at, do you? And my dad said, no, I just noticed this is a huge building. I wonder if you guys are on the lake. I just wondered if you guys used any salt. And he says, as a matter of fact, we're the number one consumer of salt in the country. This is U.S. steel. Wow. And, they, and for some reason, they use it in the smelting process. I don't know. I'm not right. a, I'm not a, you know. And uh, and they probably don't even do that anymore. Who knows? But anyway, so uh, he landed that account when he got back to Des Moines. They took him off it immediately and put on somebody that was fifty three, not twenty three. Yeah. And uh, but they gave him a they gave him a promotion to uh, be a, a cash grain trader for Cargo up in um, Minneapolis. So we moved up there um, shortly thereafter, and my dad traded cash grain for Cargo for three or four years up there. And then it was where my sister was born. So there's three of us, and uh, he did that so well. They they promoted him to run uh, the Chicago operation for him at the Chicago Board of Trade. So we moved in in 1970, all right? So 1970-71. And uh, that's where I went to school, you know, basically right. K through 12. My, my brother went there K through 12, and so, so did my sister. We, we stayed there the entire time. And that was where my father learned his love of agriculture. I mean, he was always kind of a farm, you know, country kid anyway. But whenever he had any, you know, he had any extra cash, he would uh, salt it away trying to save up for to, to buy some land, you know, because he always said, you know, God only makes so much right. real estate and he loved being outdoors. I mean, he was an Eagle scout too. Um, that'll give you an idea about what kind of person he was. So he loved the outdoors and, um, and fishing and, and, and whatever. And, but he loved animals too. So he never went hunting. <laughs> well, yeah. That's he like animals. Pro- yeah. He liked animals probably more than he liked people. Yes. Um, I like it that <laughs> I like it that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, so the few times I got to work with him, every now and again, somebody on the farm would call him at the board of trade and say, we lost a dairy cow and he'd start crying. 
Oh. And, and so he, yeah, he, he, he had a love of animals like nothing else. But anyway. Can I just stop you for, for a minute, sure. Scott? Okay. Sure. Uh, what is your dad? I, I, I believe that your dad has passed away. Is that correct? Yeah, today, eight, 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 eight and a half years ago. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I just, so what, what, what is your dad's name? Because I'm not going to say was because he's up in heaven. No, Ronald. 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 Okay. And now you, did you know your grandparents? Did you know his parents? Yes, I did. Okay. So his grandparents came over from Holland, so we're Dutch. Oh, you're Dutch. Um, and okay. So my, yeah, and so my dad's mother and my dad's father both spoke a little bit of Dutch, but his grandparents definitely did. So, okay. And his grandmother lived with him for a while, and she couldn't speak any English. She only spoke Dutch. So okay. he, just re- he just tells the stories about not you know, doing something wrong and getting hit by the right. head and somebody <laughs> screaming Dutch at him all the time. Yeah, yeah. So. Now, what did your dad, when, I mean, it, it's a wonderful story of of just perseverance and driving and also American exceptionalism that he, that the, that he was able to go to school. And what did your dad study in college? Uh, finance. Finance. Okay. So he had an interest in that, even though, and that's really amazing because coming up poor <laughs> is that you would, you would not think of, of going into study finance. So that, that, uh, do you have any idea? Uh, I, I think growing up poor, he, he had an affinity for money. He liked right, money. Right, so he, right. liked, he, he wanted to find a way to make more of it. So. Okay. So he studied finance. Okay. So I interrupted you. I interrupted your story. No, but I just he, wanted to get that. So you're now in Chicago and you, and you have a sister and a brother. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And, uh, but to, the, to your point, my dad used to say it all the time. And rich people don't get rich by spending money. You know, so he's a favorite. And the Dutch are also known as a very cheap people. Like, yeah. I mean, nothing, he would he would tell me that the, the Dutch taught the world how to be cheap. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let's see. So anyway, yes, we we were in Chicago. And my, that's where my dad flourished. Um, and and uh, he went. Uh, he left Cargill in nineteen. 19- 74, I think it was, because Cargill, Cargill, well, there's one little part in there. Cargill did all the grain for the world's biggest companies, right? So they were a huge grain operation, but they also realized in the early 70s that the companies that they were dealing for also had a big uh, financial risk with uh, currency valuations, interest rates. And so they started a firm, started an offshoot called Cargill Investor Services, CIS. Okay. Since then, other firms have done the same thing. There's an ADMIS, so ADM Investor Services, and there's other ones. But they, that's that's to manage the financial conditions of your big grain firms. So if they do a lot of you know overseas transactions, they've got currency risk. So you hedge the currency risk. You hedge your interest rate risk. And so it was a financial arm of cargo that did that for us. And my father was second in command there. Uh, he was he and a buddy by the name of Dan Amstutz, who later went on to run uh, the World Wheat Commission. And was rumored to be uh, one of the secretary of ag under uh, Jimmy Carter, because Amy Carter, Jimmy Carter's a star. I don't know if you remember her, but she worked for my father one year in the late seventies. Okay, I didn't know he had and, a daughter. And, uh, yeah, Amy Carter. Yeah, she's yeah, she looked like Squeaky from, um, <laughs> and she's still around somewhere. But anyway, hopefully uh, she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe people think Squeaky from looks good. Who knows? Yeah, anyway. uh, but I uh, nowadays you don't know anything. Um, know. And, and so he, uh, my father, had a chat with the president because he said, look, we're both, it was 1974, they're both 34 years old. And my dad said, if I wait for you to be, you know, to retire, I'll be president for six months and then I'll retire. So I got to do something else. And so my father um, resigned and went on his own and started his own small firm up so that he could, you know, be doing business for these people instead of the firm. And that was in in Illinois? Yes, it was in Chicago and it was the, probably the the best thing that he, he ever did because he, 
when he said he was making more, you know, he was making double his annual salary per month because he was, you know, he, he went on his own. But the, the, the downside of that story is Dan Amstutz um, was picked as the world secretary of wheat or some, some huge international job and resigned literally about six months after my father quit. So he could, if he would have waited six more months, yeah. he would have been the president. But, you know, and that's, that's how life was. And, and my dad always thought that was funny because, he was more than happy to, you know, the, the, the new right. thing working for yourself instead of working for the man did my father very, very well. And so he was uh, independent uh, and he had his own small firm and he talked to the big, you know, commercial grain outfits out there. Cargo would never touch him again. They said, if you leave us, we'll never give you another business, you know, business again. And they, and they held true to that. Okay. Uh, but he did business for ADM and all the big bungy and, you know, all the big ones out there. And uh, he did that for until he, until uh, he retired. No, when did the farm come in? Were you, did I cut you short? Were you about to tell us? Yeah, no, yeah, I was about to say. So, so when he was able to go on his own and start uh, really making some money, I mean, back in the 70s, you, you know, those guys could, were making, routinely making more money than the best page, you know, uh, athletes in baseball, football, or basketball. You know, this was before a lot of that money started to come in. But so my dad, every time he made money, he drove uh, about 150 miles west of Chicago towards the Mississippi River. Uh, my mother's got some uh, family in Dubuque, Iowa, on the river. And right across the river in Illinois is a place called Galena. And it's probably the most beautiful part of Illinois because it was untouched by the glaciers. It's very hilly. Um, it looks a lot like eastern Tennessee, if you've ever been you know, yes, there. Yes. Or, and so my dad just kept buying land. And as it happens, uh, he was in the middle of the pits during the 80s when we had all the, that farm crisis and Waylon and Willie with farm aid right. and... And un- unfortunately, our neighbors were going out of business by right and sound. My father was able to add on to his estate to the tune of almost 900 acres by the end of, of the 80s because he just bought the next door neighbors every time okay. they couldn't take it anymore. And so so to say I grew up on a farm full time is not quite right. Okay. I, my brother and I and my sister traveled there every free weekend you know, from uh, Friday night to Monday morning. Okay. And um, as long as there weren't any conflicts, and a lot of times there were, but uh, obviously we were there for the summers and stuff, but we, uh, we had to get, you know, we had to get down and dirty, you know, pulling the calves out of the, out of the mothers. And, and I mean, there was, we, we did a lot, but uh, we grew up in Chicago, went to high school in Chicago, but we were on the farm any spare time we had. And my dad made sure of that because he thought that was a great way that we could learn um, the value of life, watching these animals die and uh, what a dollar really, really was when you work hard for it and um, and how it makes you feel when you work hard and something comes to fruition. You know, that's a good feeling too. Yes. And I I have uh, right now, I mean, my father's still blessing us because back in the 70s, the uh, Department of Natural Resources, the DNR in Illinois, if you wanted, they, you, all you had to do was ask, but they would send you saplings. So every... For about a two or three year period, I planted probably 3,000, 1,500 walnut trees and 1,500 uh, pine trees with my father. You know, he basically healing them in every five feet. And uh, now we have, you know, we've got almost 900 acres or, uh, and um, there's huge walnut and pine trees that we can now harvest for a ridiculous amount of money per tree. So it's almost like another business uh, flow for my mother. And it's been fantastic. Well, that is fantastic. So, I'm just going to interrupt you again for a second, please, if I can. You know, your dad, yeah. I see you and I uh, well, you know, hear you and I see you, you know, learned your background and uh, connected with you over the radio and the telephone, uh, not telephone, television, excuse me. But I got to go back to your dad because he was a truly, truly remarkable man. 
to be able to come and 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 to first of all to go from a salesman to the to a trader which is two completely different things come from a poor background and did were your grandparents were his parents alive to see his success no uh, i think um, my grandfather died when i was in college in the early 80s and my grandmother died a couple of years before he did so they saw him doing better and and he took care of them one of the best things I saw him do was, uh, you know, they were proud people, but they were nothing like my father. My father was larger than life. He'd come in the room and you just, you know, he had that presence. And I mean, and, and my dad was very, very kind. And, and I mean, he, he, I, all I wanted to do was be my dad. That's right. how great he was, you know? Yeah, that's, that's one, that, that's absolutely, it's a wonderful story. And I could just see. But how- he, but he would put. So, but on the farm, like, you know, he wanted to, he wanted his parents to be near him. So he bought them a house in a local town, five miles away from our farm. Okay. So, and then he would put, then he would put his dad to work on the farm because his dad was, you know, my dad, he was six foot five, uh, you know, he wore overalls with no shirt and, uh, <laughs> he, 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 he was, a, he was just a working man and, and he was very quiet, very humble. And my grandmother was a maid. And so she was very quiet. And I mean, they were just meek, but they were just good people. And, uh, so my father bought him, this is a good story. My father bought him a house near us and, uh, and he, and he knew that his father would feel weird not paying any rent or anything because it was going to be a slight to his, his manhood, right? It was right. almost. And so my dad made him pay a thousand bucks a month for, for, for rent back then. And that was kind of expensive. Sure. And so he, so, but at the end of the year, my dad would put a Christmas card on their Christmas tree with $12,000 in it. Wow. That's a wonderful story. And then, the, and you, your mother must've cried when she saw that. Growing up poor, you know, being poor. Well, <laughs> I laugh. She did, obviously. And then it affected us, too, because my father played. He started and was captain of the football team in college. Drake University played Notre Dame. They played USC. I mean, it was a big-time school back then. And his dad, his parents, never saw him play one game. Really? Wow. No, nope, they were working. They had to work. That's it. That's, that's... And so... And so... I think what struck my mother the most about my father was he held them in such high regard for absolutely no reason. And she, she just thought that was pretty cool. That's a, that's an amazing, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Now I'm just going to, I just, I'm so fascinated with your dad and I hope I'm not, I don't want to steal your thunder, but you are him. Did, did a teacher push him to get a scholarship in school? Because, I mean, coming from that era, coming from that, that level of poverty. Yes, well, he, he taught us that we, you know, he taught us whatever we did. You want to be number one. You want to be a winner. I mean, today people hate that mentality. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he says, if you're going to do something, do it right. If you don't have time to do it right the first time, how are you going to find time to do it right the second time? Correct. And so we, my brother and I, he played baseball at the University of Indiana on a scholarship. And I, I got money, uh, some money to go play football for the University of Colorado where Deion Sanders primetime that right now. Okay. Um, and so uh, obviously the athletics were a big part of our lives, but it taught us, you know, my dad taught us the value of a dollar. We had to work hard on the farm. And I, I mean, and, and he was, uh, you're right, from where he came from. And I tell people all the time, uh, he probably will not meet anybody. He was not. He couldn't be racist because he was a he was from this religion called the Dutch Reform. Yes, and and they beat it into these people's heads that they're the worst, they're the lowest of the low. They're like you know they're they're lower than well well done at the bottom right. of the ocean at high tide, right? They look yeah. up at everybody, and so he he you know everybody loved him, uh, and there was no racism. He had all different kinds of friends, and and when he finally did pass, the Chicago Tribune, which is either the second or third largest newspaper in the country, waited two weeks. And they put his 
they put a, a huge story about him on the front page of the business section on their Sunday edition, which is their biggest circulation. The whole page from wow. my father was it was fantastic. No, what it was a, been absolutely fantastic. What what, what a tribute and and, uh, and what a man of character. I mean, he's uh, he just epitomizes a man of character, and I wish I would have been able to to meet him to be so successful and so humble is such a rare commodity and especially today and he very easily could have been ruined by his success coming from his background but he never forgot where he came from no he never he, he absolutely never did because he was uh I, what did i say at his funeral something like um he was uh, equally as kind to paupers as he was to kings. That's a wonderful, one, a wonderful, wonderful man. And, and, you know, and I can say this sincerely, is that just listening to you on rural radio, because I get the simulcast, I don't have time to watch TV, uh, but I've seen you on television, but usually listen to you on rural radio. And uh, you have that same character. And I mean that sincerely because you come and you have such a broad knowledge about the commodities about the markets about finance you see the big picture you you see the uh the macro of everything and yet you could break it down into the micro and have a common sense approach to the comments and yet i know just hearing you talk that that like just like your dad whether they're they're paupers or the kings it makes no difference you look at them for what they are as a human being and that that's that's a wonderful your dad is living on in you scott and i could see that as a stranger and a man who has never shaken your hand but just listen to you well i appreciate that thank you very much and you know he raised two sons that uh, we could have cowered in his you know it was because he was such a big personality but all it really made us do was want to be just like him and uh and it was good, you know, it was a good thing. I had the best parents growing up. My mother's fantastic. And my, I thought my father wasn't, I would not I'd give him one second of a back. I mean, he, they drove us hard and they were very, you know, they were tough, but uh, they didn't want to be our friends. They wanted to be our parents. And that was the right thing to do. So now you, um, you played football also, didn't you? You were saying, you yeah, played. I played. At, you know, I was on the team at the University of Colorado, Boulder, right. you know, Colorado Buffaloes. Yeah. I went there because I wanted to prove to people I was undersized and I was kind of like the Rudy. <laughs> I was, okay. I, uh, but I wanted to prove to people that I could play big time ball, and I proved it. And so then I knew I wasn't going to play pro, but I wanted to go someplace big with a big stage and shoot, show these guys that I could do it. And I did, and then um, got it out of my system. But believe it or not, I went I went to the University of Colorado as an art major, which really? I know is going to throw you for a loop. An yeah. art an art major? Wow! Yeah, that cowboy, the cowboy, the cowboy is an art yeah. major. <laughs> yes, well. I, I, I didn't finish as our major because, number one, my father found out when he came to watch us play UCLA and he waited for me outside the locker room forever. And when I came out there, he says, Monday morning, you're going to go to finance because the last time I ever heard of an art major making any money was after he was dead. <laughs> so he pushed you. He pushed you. Wow. Wow. Yeah, well, it, was, it was convenient because I had broken both of my hands within okay. a two-week period and they were both in cast. I, they were playing cast, so I could, I could actually play football still, but I couldn't draw. Okay. So I so yeah I, I moved over to finance after a year of, of art at school and I tell you that's my mother's got a, a line of artists in her family one of them is probably the most prolific and famous artist in the Midwest her name's Kate Keith Fantasy uh, that's another Dutch name obviously and um, my mother's got um, that woman's art all over the place and at, at times it's been rumored that she's been you know in the Smithsonian for a time or two wow. but. Uh, yeah, she's she was very good, and she just drew all all the pictures she drew were of um, those the beautiful hills of Galena and Dubuque and Mississippi River, and it's out there if you if you if you take a look. But anyway, that, so I had that a little bit of that in my blood. Anyway, you know, my mom was the picture lady every year in school. Remember when they had the picture right, lady? Right. And, and 
and, and so that was great. But and, and but I tell you what, if I fast forward quickly, Ray, it's, it's really shaped me because all the pundits on these financial news programs, you know, they all come from that side of the brain where I have their degree when I come from a different side of the brain, and it's just been it's proven to be so fantastic because I don't look at anything the way anybody else does, and it's, and it's enabled me to stick out. You definitely, and, and that's why I love your show, and I love your commentary on finances. I am, I'm not a financier. I always used to read the Wall Street Journal every day and Investor's Business Daily before it became Investor's Business Weekly, only because I had a cursory interest in it, and I felt that it was a good bellwether for the way the country is going and the world is going. But until I found you and uh, on the radio, is that I, I just you just you just bring a real to finance and it's and finance and the economic situation that I have to honestly say that no one else that I ever found does. Well, I, I appreciate that, but it's you know I've got a I've got a, I have just a solid background. It's it's proof what uh, you know two good people, two good parents can do. And so anyway, I, that, that, so that I went you know my schooling years were a lot like everybody else's. So was my brother and my sister. We have uh, you know all the same trials and tribulations, but nothing you know nothing spectacular but uh, we all enjoyed our, our upbringing immensely and we all went off to college and then after college um i unfortunately graduated right after the crash of 87 and so and so uh there were no jobs in finance in the spring of 88 i mean no everybody was still firing people in the spring of 88 but i got lucky and i took a job at the firm in chicago the chicago board of trade uh, my father didn't say to me back then he says that i'll I'm not going to help you get a job. You need to do that on your own. All I'll do is I'll give you the name of the person that you need to write to to try to get the job. <laughs> I was going to ask you that if he helped you. That's great. So you have to, you have to. Yeah, he says, yeah, so that's all he would do for me. And he did the same for my brother. And, you know, anyway, but he, so I got, I don't know how many hundreds of rejection letters. It was just a disaster. But I finally found somebody that said, you know, we'll bring you on. And I think back then out of high, out of college, Ray, if, we, if, if a person got a 20 or $25,000 job, that was fantastic. Right. Maybe up to 30. Well, I got, mine was 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's like a Walmart but, job. Yeah. Right. But, they, but then they told me, but they taught me how to trade. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm getting paid to go to school again. I'll do, yeah. I'll do that. Right. And so uh, I did that um, for, uh, from 19, uh, I did that in 1988. And in 1989, they made me a trader because I did well in that school, uh, their little their little trading you know hub. Yeah. And I uh, did well. I did well enough in 1989 trading for them that they sent me to London to be a partner in the firm and, and run Europe for them. Well, we're going to stop so, right there. Do you remember your first trade? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit a, about it? It was an out trade because I didn't know what I was doing. So uh, a big broker was in the pit trying to buy something, and he he said, "I want to pay six for 500." And I said sold, and I wrote down that I paid six for five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> now, did your dad so know about I, that? Did your dad know about that? No, no, he didn't know about that. I was just so nervous and so scared. I was like a, a puppy dog that heard himself bark for the first time. You know? <laughs> yeah. So and you, uh, and I and so the next morning I have a, I have a I have a dispute with a big broker, right? So. Um, it cost me a little bit of money to get out of it, but uh, my first trade was a mistake. Yeah, well, those are the best kind, right? Those, yeah, especially when you're playing and learning with your own money. Now, as far right, as so, yeah, was that a grain trade? What was it? Yeah, that was corn, yeah, corn options, like corn puts options. and calls on corn. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And then, so the, the trade number two, you didn't make that mistake, correct? No, and after that, it was it was it was fine, and and I, I was only there for you know about eight months, and then they 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 said that they were looking for somebody to go open up an office for him in, in London. And, 
I put my hand up. I was 23 years old. I said, I want to do it. And so when I was 23 years old. They sent me to London in 1989. And, uh, I, you know, no cell phones. I'm 2000, I don't know, 6,000 miles away. I don't know how many miles it is, but, uh, I got off the, the plane and eat at Heathrow. Uh, I had a little piece of paper with directions on get, you know, getting to a small breakfast in the heart of London and, uh, showed up for, well, the International Financial Futures Exchange was just opening up then, and it showed up in the right in the center of London, and right, right right across the street from the Bank of England, uh, all by myself with no cell phones, and uh, got after it, and it, uh, it went wildly successful from there. They must have really seen something in you that uh, that that be for them for them to send you all the way there and to set that up there. I mean, that's that's really is amazing, Scott. I mean, it's 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 truly amazing. Yeah, maybe I don't. When I say it, maybe it sounds like, and I didn't think it at the time. I just was trying to move up the ladder and do whatever you know, doing anything right. I did. I mean, I wasn't only making twelve thousand dollars, um, you know, a year in nineteen eighty eight to learn how to, to learn how to trade. I mean, in that year, I had to have three or four other jobs so I could you know afford to eat and pay rent, and so I was. I was breaking up sidewalk cement. I was bouncing at a, a really popular bar in Chicago till one in the morning. I mean, I was doing anything and everything I could to bring some money in to make sure that I could still do that. So I was just happy to go to one and see sites and not have to have five jobs. Right. <laughs> now, now, uh, how I mean, was how was London? Did you enjoy it there? Because I know you spent a lot of your bo- you spent a we, lot of time uh, in England. Sixteen years in total, and uh, I I love it. I, I, I'll, I'll retire there. I have British passport now as well as my American and the people citizen. Uh, my daughter was born there, and I have uh, I probably have more friends there than I do here, just because you know from the age of twenty three to right. and I came back when I was thirty five. You make all of your your your, your uh, financial friends, like your um, professional friends, right? The people in the office, the right. people you go to work with, and so I met you know fifteen guys. I was there, the, you know, we were out having beer the day they met their wife. I met too, and then I was there when they had their first kid, the second kid, third kid. So right. you know, I uh, if I know fifteen guys, I know their wives and all their kids, and you know, and then all that time I'm, I'm not in the states. So when I come back here, I'm kind of you know, I was kind of like a foreigner here because all my high school guys. Had, Met people that I didn't know, and my right. college friends met people I didn't know. So, yeah, but I and I love history. I'm a big history buff. You know, I'm a massive uh, Winston Churchill fan, um, okay. and so I, I read all about that. So I love you know, and I love being able to travel. It was you know, I've been to any you name the European country, I've been there over twenty times. So wow. you know, plus I had to travel out. I had to travel out for work. So and it, was, it was a lot of fun. But it, it was it was very formative. And that's where my daughter was born there. I got, I got married in 1989 here in the States. Oh, you married American um, girl. American girl you married. For, yes. And then we went over together. And, uh, and my daughter was born in 1997 there. But my in-laws at the time, uh, we're not married anymore. The in-laws at the time were in Denver, Colorado. Okay. And as it got harder and harder for them to travel over to see our daughter, in 2001, around, I started migrating back, you know, slowly but surely doing more work here in the States. Um, and that kind of culminated with uh, with nine eleven, which was a shock for the country. But I I lost uh, two very good friends and three people I worked with in that in that building. Oh. And so, so I kind of cemented me to kind of stick around here, and be with my family. I think a lot right. of people at that time had that same feeling. Right. Um, but but I, it, uh, it that was tough. You know, we we flew. I was on a plane the first day you could fly in the states, and uh, there was only seven of us on a huge on a huge plane. Wow. Um, and I went back. I went back to a bunch of funerals, and uh, that was pre- that's, it was a pretty pretty sad time. But anyway, so I was here from I don't know 2001 to 
2015 and I went back in 2015 for another four years. So 12 plus four is 16. And, um, that's, uh, that's, that, that's what I did. So it was, it's been a lot of fun. I came back in 2019 here. Um, and, uh, I came back the second time because, uh, my brother called me up in 2018 and told me that he had, uh, terminal brain cancer. Nothing oh. they could do. He had 18 months, he had 18 months left. And, and so I said, all right, I'll come home. And so we did. And, about a month after I got here, he died. Now, was your your, your what, what is your brother's name? Mark. Mark. And and uh, and did, did he was he was he in finance also, or what did he do? Uh, he he worked for a, a big firm. You probably know their their uh, investors, but he worked for Ingersoll Rand. Oh, sure. It was a big yeah. company. And he worked for it for yeah for a long time, and he was he was very successful at that. And um, that was you know. If you, if you if you wind it back a little bit, you know my let's see in 1997 my daughter was born. I was the, I'm the oldest in my family, and okay. as I've said, and, and my my daughter was the first grandchild, so that really made my father happy. And uh, they flew over right away because it was in England, and that was hard having my my parents too having to fly you know on a sure. eight nine hour flight to come see their granddaughter. Um, but uh, we we probably let's see yeah we came back when my daughter was four. And, uh, and then she got, my dad sold his house. We sold our house. My, my parents sold their house in Chicago and my mom got for the farm full time in probably like 1998. And so when I came back to the Chicago, my dad moved in with us for three nights a week when he was working at the board of trade. And then after Friday, he'd drive out to the farm and he'd come in, he would take Mondays off and come in, you know, early Tuesday morning. Okay. And, uh, it was great because I got to have my dad and my daughter, um, he became best friends, you know, and. Uh, that was that was probably one of the best times in my life. You know, one being able to work with my father for one year, and number two, you know, he got to be very very close to his his first grandchild. I remember was my daughter, which was fantastic. But yeah, the sad part of that story was uh, my, my daughter was uh, very very pretty, tall, uh, and right about the time she was in sixth grade, she became um, just relentlessly bullied about her looks, and it affected her to such a degree that um, almost she almost couldn't function. I mean, she didn't want to go to school anymore. It was pretty bad. And uh, I, I was doing everything I could as a father with psychologists, child help, and to see what we could do. With, uh, nobody at school would talk to her. I mean, you know, the whole, you know, and then because nobody really knew what to do about bullying 20-something years ago, 25 years ago. Right. You know, the, the way they solved those problems, right, was, you know, they would have the principal of the school chat over to make sure everything was okay. That only brought more attention upon it, right? It's right. the worst thing they could think of doing. And so she went down a, a bad hole. Um, very bad hole started to hang around, you know, bad people. Um, and in the meantime, unfortunately, her, her mother and I got divorced after 25 years of marriage. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, not because of any of that, just no part. We got married when we were 23, 22. Actually, we were just, it was probably a little bit too young to get married because we both had, we just both grew and no animosity, um, just different directions, and, and that's fine. But uh, I got I got custody of my daughter okay. um, in Chicago. And uh, I was living in the John Hancock building. I don't know if everybody knows what that looks like, but uh, it, was, it was a beautiful place. But um, my, just, my daughter was struggling, hanging around the wrong people because she had no self-esteem. Uh, did the best I could, but um, two guys met her in one night um, in their thirties. She was seventeen uh, and turned her on to heroin. Oh. She tried some heroin, and uh, she died in the stairwell of the fifty-first floor of the Hancock Oh, I'm so sorry and to hear that. No, that's that's the way it is. And then uh, to make the story sound even better, four days later, my father died. Oh my God. 
I, that's that's <laughs> so. As you can imagine, if you, if you can imagine a, a church where the, the two caskets in the front are the person you adore the most and the person you admire the most. Unbelievable! What a tragedy! What a terrible! What a terrible, terrible story! And uh, I, my my heart breaks just hearing it. And that's uh, I don't even know how you how you uh, managed to get through that. And your mother also, and your brother was your brother sick at that same time, or was he not sick yet? No, no, he died uh, three. He died about four years later. That's uh, that's that uh, Scott. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but it's I'm, my heart sincerely bleeds you. What what is your daughter's name? Chloe. Chloe, and she was only seventeen years old. That's uh, a. Yeah. What a, yep, she'd be twenty five. She'd be twenty five right now, and uh, you know. I, but since then, I, you know, I met um, I met a woman that my dad knew. Uh, I worked on this for the Sherbrooke trade, and subsequently, she followed me back to London the second time there. I went back for in twenty fifteen, and I got to get married in front of my dear friends in London in twenty twenty eighteen. Okay. And so um, she's got two grown children, which I've been able to, you know, be a father to them. One's 40 and one's 36. Yeah. They're fantastic. And, and, and my, uh, but uh, yeah, she, she really helped me a lot. It was, it was, it was difficult, but that was what was great about being the, uh, the professor at, at DePaul University because I got that right after my daughter died in 2014. She died in October of 2014 and in January of 2015. Well, DePaul picked me up to be a finance professor and, you know, to stand in front of, 40 kids that basically the age of your daughter and she died and have them all look at you like a dad was was incredible and it was almost it was exactly what i needed to heal my heart well, well thank god for that because that could have very easily gone the other way you know looking at the all these jo all these young girls young women in the classroom and here you are and your daughter is that may i ask uh what day in october did she pass 24th the 24th of october Okay, that's and she was only seventeen years old. What a tragedy! Yeah, I mean, I it, it uh, there's what what uh, there's nothing more I could say. And then your dad, the same week you uh, did I get that correctly? Was it the same week that he died? She died. Uh, well, my dad, my dad, my dad retired again. He had unfortunately come was struck with Alzheimer's. Okay. And uh, if you're not a Christian, after hearing this story, I don't know what I can do for you. But uh, because he was so close to my daughter, um, he, he he was basically bedridden. He, he and he he was nonverbal and, and and didn't open his eyes for probably I don't know 14 months. Wow. Because he had the Alzheimer's just to attacked his body. His brain couldn't. He was fed with a tube. And we would go. People would just you know I'd go sit with him. You know, and you just don't know if he can hear me or not. But you just want to spend time with him. And we all sure. kind of parents doing that but on on the friday my daughter passed my mom went to go see him on saturday morning and whispered into his ear uh that chloe had died and one big alligator tear came out of his eye wow unbelievable and and his vital signs crashed unbelievable what is i got tears in my eyes hearing the story i mean that sincerely that's that's and he was, and he was dead. He was dead four days later. That's that's terrible. That's that's terrible, Scott. And I, 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 you know, I thank you for sharing that with me. And it's, uh, I say it's a wonderful. No, it's part of the, it's part, it's part of the deal. I, you know, and it's hard. Let me tell you. It's uh, I'm, I'm honest to people. For sixty days, I went to bed every night and prayed to God He'd kill me. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I can understand you're just broken. This and both sides of you are broken. There's nothing that was not broken. Your dad and your daughter. That terrible, and and I have to say this as one Christian to another. Even uh, I love your shows, I loved your talk, but I sense some brokenness in you, 
and that was one of the reasons, honestly, what was the catalyst for me to reach out to you, is that I knew that there was much more to the cow, to the cow guy than the world of finance. And uh, I, do, I was hoping it was not something like this, but by God's grace, you got through it. And you carry your dad's legacy, right? Because didn't he wear a cow jacket? Yeah, so he was the one because we have a visitor's gallery. You've probably seen that in Ferris Bueller's Day Off or something where people can look from the public to see what goes on down in those pits. And because he, he, he uh, we have a dairy farm. Right. He thought, oh, I'm going to advertise the fact that there is, it's not just gambling, man. We're actually, you know, setting a pretty, uh, you know, it's a pretty important economic function, the price of food, right? Yeah. So he would wear that black and white jacket, knowing that people in the visitor's gallery would have questions about why he's wearing that black and white jacket. Right. And then he gave a card with, like it's before you know frequently asked questions facts yeah. right he would give a card to the, the to the uh, guards that were ushering people through the visitors gallery and he basically turned them into docents in a museum people would ask questions and he basically had the top 10 most answered asked questions on this card and would give the uh, guards a chance to answer the question oh <laughs> and so and so um that's where the cow the cow jacket started my dad started wearing it because he wanted to show let people know that the it, there wasn't even a form of economic function. It wasn't just gambling. It wasn't just right. much. I mean, obviously, there's some of that in it, but uh, and that was that's where that's what happened. And so, when my father retired in 2001, right around 1911, I thought, you know, it'd be cool if I wore that as a game worn jersey, you know, in honor of him. Right. He, he he retired because he had Alzheimer's, and I felt bad. You know, he couldn't continue to go right. on anymore. I started wearing it, but at that same time, Ray, they, for some reason. Uh, Wall Street started investing billions of dollars into commodities. I mean, suddenly all of these money managers wanted to get in the market. And so what, what comes with a lot of money is media. And so <laughs> when the media and the cameras hit the floor, they, they all wanted to go, what the hell is that guy wearing that black and white jacket for? Let's talk to him. And so even though my father's dad, he, he still had a massive hand in, in, into my successes because you know, he was the original cow guy. Now, I got to ask, did you have, because the jacket looks like a Holstein, did you guys have Holsteins? And, yes, we did. And yes. and uh, I'm sure everybody in the audience in the world who watches you on Fox News, on Bloomberg, on RFD TV, where do you get a cow a cow jacket like that? Oh, I, I've had so many of them made because sometimes I give them away. Like, uh, okay. you know, I was, I was, you know, Chris Christie, when he was governor of New Jersey, you know, had me to the mansion and uh, I bought it and I brought one for him. Okay. Uh, Stuart Barney's, Stuart Barney's got one, um, you know, places I go. Sometimes I, I have people raffle them off, you know, to okay. raise money for stuff. Okay. So I probably had about a hundred of them made. So okay. I have about three or four hanging in my dressing room. Okay. And your dad had it made also back then, correct? Cause you would, you would... Yeah, yes, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. So did they, they, did they just dye the material to look like a cow? Cause I don't think that you could get a cow print, a Holstein cow print to make, to make. I think, no, he, he somehow he found, you know, you know, whatever the equivalent of, uh, you know, some, store that would sell a cloth, you know, okay. you probably found something you're not somebody making out of it. I mean, that's what I have to do. Well, I can get it online now, but okay. I think, you know, whatever the equivalent of Hobby Lobby was back then, right, that's right, what right. he had to do. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now that, uh, that, that's so great that you carry, that you carried that tradition on and, uh, and your, your dad, uh, did he wear the jacket just when he was in the pits or did he wear it outside and do you wear it outside? He wore it only when he was in the pits. Okay. And uh, what happened with me was um, my second trip back to London, as things were getting more and more serious and my, my stature was wrapping up, the BBC was calling me on and all these things. 
I met a gentleman now was one of my, call him one of my best friends, but he was kind of like the Billy Bush of the of, of England in the 1980s, right? Okay. He, was, you know, he was a celebrity on TV, a single guy, uh, a wonderful guy. And, and, and he was running a production outfit where I was doing a lot of my hits yeah. for Stuart Barney and for you know, CNN. And, and he said to me, you know, I see, I see the numbers when you come on. There's instant Nielsen numbers or whatever they were looking right, at right. for. You know, for crowd capacity, I don't know how they do it. But yeah. anyway, uh, he says, he says, anybody that's got you on and doesn't pay you is ripping you off because the you know the the needle goes around like a fan when you come on. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I said, he, he said, so here's what I want you to do. He says, if I catch you, and we were good friends at this point in time, he says, if I ever see you not wearing something black and white all day every day, because he said it it happened last night. You know, I was at a honky tonk here in Nashville, and some seventy-two-year-old woman was staring at me. And I mean, it was a busy bar, right? Yeah. People standing up, sitting down, whatever. And, yeah. and she kept staring at me and talking to her husband, staring. And it was only because I had a black and white shirt on, like Cal Holstein, Holstein. You know, sometimes the shirts only have the collar and cuffs are only the Holstein. Or okay. I have people make them for me now, right? So it's not always a solid black right, and white right, shirt. Right. So, and uh, she finally came over to me, and you know, she was. She, she, you know, she was so kind. And I don't, you know, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm just like my father. I'm a humble. But she just kept saying, "You have no idea how famous you are." I'm like, I don't have any idea. You're right. I'm sorry, but thank you. But yeah. um, it was very, very kind of them to be so nice. And so, so now everywhere, every day, I have it on right now. I have black and white shoes, holstein shoes. So <laughs> wow. I have to wear something that's got the because my friend would say. People will stare at you and think, I know that guy. Right, right. But then they'll think, then they'll doubt themselves, right? They'll, man, maybe it just looks like him, you know, whatever. And they won't right. approach you, but you want them to approach you to show you how nice you are. And then they'll be a great advertisement for you when they leave. Right. Yeah. And so he said, you need to, you need to give them something to, to put it together and, and, and then you can talk to them. And, and it's been, that works immensely. I mean, it's, so, you know, I'm on the airplane, the captain will come back and sit down next to me. Yeah. Want to talk about finance, and then I you know I've been in Venice, Italy, and I get stopped. I get I've been in Tokyo, get stopped. It's a lot of fun. Well, it's amazing because, uh, and the and I just want to back up a little bit because you were in England, but I also believe that you were in Japan for a while, weren't you in Japan? Yeah, well, I I, I ran the industrial bank of Japan in London, and so I spent probably one month out of every three or four months in Tokyo for three years. So I was in Tokyo a lot. I mean, I leave me put it this way. I left. I left Colos at the hotel I stayed at. Wow, you were really there a lot. You were really there a lot. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. And I would, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. Would you mind sharing your wife's name with us? Your current, your current wife's name with us. Well, that's a great story. Yeah, she knew my father before she knew me. She right. uh, used to talk to him at the border trade, and and um, and I, I, so she's a one hundred percent Serbian immigrant. Her name okay. is uh, Milanka, Milanka, and. Uh, I mean, she speaks perfect English. Obviously, she grew up on the south side of Chicago, okay. so you wouldn't say it's perfect. You wouldn't say it's perfect English, but it's supposed to be right. English. But uh, <laughs> she, uh, she's, um, she's tough as nails. But she, her family came to uh, America in 1967. Okay, and so she came over on the boat with her mother, her father, and her sister. So, okay. as a matter of fact, her mom's moving in with us for good at the end of this month, which I'm looking forward to. Cause, uh, but she, she can't speak. She doesn't speak English, and she can't drive. Okay. So it'll be a little bit of an experiment, but uh, they're true American immigrants, true European immigrants, and uh, it's been great to be able to get their points of view about what's been happening with our southern border too. So, right. So um, all, all, very, all very interesting stuff. Yeah, that, that's very. And now, now you, now you, your wife, uh, 
She grew up in Chicago, but she was born in Serbia. And do is do, yes. the, do the Serbian people have their own language? Yes, she speaks fluent Serbian. Oh, there is a Serbian. Um, but she, 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 yeah, they have their own language. She can understand uh, Serbian and Croatian is very close, okay. but she can understand Polish and Russian okay. a little bit. You know, like you know, she can't speak it, but she can understand it. She can't write it either, but she understands it. And her mother, she her mother doesn't speak English, but her mother and, and my wife they 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 talk all day in Serbian, so. Okay. It's kind of nice. It is. It's, it's, it's nice to have around. It is. It is. Um, it's not. It's not. A, it's not like French. It's, it doesn't sound as nice. No, as it's French, not. It's not a romance. It's not a romance language. No, not, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, not you, at all. Well, you could tell your wife when you get off the air that you're on the air with a Ukrainian from New Jersey. All right. So. Uh, all right. Okay. She would. She would. She would know some of your words. But she would understand that. Yeah. Well, uh, my I'm second generation American. My grandparents are all from the Ukraine. And uh, my grandmother, uh, my mother's mother lived with us. And my father's uh, parents died when he was very young. And my uh, my grandfather on my mother's side died before I was born. So I grew up with my grandmother living in a house and they had an agricultural background from the Ukraine. And I think that's where my love from farming came from. But they would make up their own words. So it was half Ukrainian, half English. So I guess once you get what your mother-in-law moves and you're going to find that, that they have their own dialect, almost like pig Latin, that they'll have some. Almost, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we get along, but it'll be interesting. But that's, you know, I also, my mother was, was, is really too sick for us to take care of her here. Right. Um, so I, I just kind of, you know, I kind of want to give back. I think that's one of the, the, the bad things about, uh, you know, culture nowadays is that, uh, people get thrown in these homes and don't see anybody and, no. and i just yeah my wife's mom is, is she still walks a couple miles a day so she's still in great health and, and there's no reason why we couldn't have her around because you know, all of her friends are dead i mean that's the unfortunate part she sure. doesn't have anybody to hang around with anymore exactly so that's um so so that's uh so, so anyway um i'm just trying to pick up my left off flight and so after uh my brother died um we were in we just had come back from London for the second time. And um, also, you know, so that was a bad eight years, right? So I got to 25 year marriage dissolved. Then my daughter and my dad died almost on the same day. Down day. And then uh, then my brother dies. And then in the middle there, uh, Ray, uh, I was a pit trader, right? I, you know, that's how I got right. the cow guy. Well, that, that all went away in 2017. It was gone. They got rid of all the pits. Okay. With electronics now, yeah. So I didn't, have, I didn't have a job. And so no job after 30 years of being in the business. And you think, what am I, you know, I'm, it's like a steel worker. There's nothing I can't get retrained to do, you right. know. Uh, but I always had a, an eye on this. Uh, you know, I also did some videos for Successful Farming Magazine as well. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know, Mike McGinnis was my contact there. But yeah, uh, they, they they started having me do videos for them. And then they one of them pulled me aside and said, you know, you should you should do this full time. And I said, really? He says, yeah, we get good feedback. And so before the exchange had, had uh, gone away, they had a big production center, kind of like CNBC does on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, right? Okay. So there's, there's a production manager that runs all that. And I went up to him at the Chicago Board Trade because we had something similar. I said, I'd like, to, I'd, like to, I'd like to do some video hits for, the, for you, you know? And he says, he turned to me, he says, we have 100 guys that do it now. I only can have 100, so I'm sorry. You don't have a spot for it. And then literally, as as God would have it, I was walking out, and a guy was walking in to quit. <laughs> the hand of God. And then and then I'm, I'm halfway down the stairs, and the guy yells at me, hey, what do you know about lumber? <laughs> and I, 
I thought because there was a, I had to go on CNN to talk about Lauper. So I thought then in there and said, if I say no, I'll never get my chance. Right. So, so I said, yes, I'm, I have no idea about Lumber. Okay. <laughs> and so I got up there and I got in the chair. Yeah. And I just did what the politicians do. You know, they asked me a question and I answered what I wanted to tell. Right, I didn't right, answer right, the right. question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. It worked. But, and it worked. And here I am. And wow. for, so I went from the 100th guy on the, on the road to before I went back to London in 2015. Yeah. I was the number one guy. Well, that's, that, that, uh, that, that, that's unbelievable. So, and, you know, the old Meredith Corporation, because as you're quite aware, they're Meredith dot dash now. But, uh, they were wonderful about giving someone a chance and they uh yeah. uh they basically not this not the show's not about me but i had a very i was blessed with a vibrant career in the automobile industry as a technical writer and and uh the auto in the, the car magazine industry and everything imploded you know with the recession 0809 but i had inertia because you know companies like general motors or ford or weren't they were letting their contracts run out, but they just didn't renew them. And then I reached out because I always read Successful Farming, and I reached out to Successful Farming because I I did not know how big they were. I mean, I, I don't think I know Meredith Corporation. So I basically told them they didn't know what they were doing as far as machinery coverage was concerned. They were good with everything else. And that's basically, in essence, and I went out to see them in Des Moines at their office. And I, that's where I met Mike McGinnis and yeah. met the, everybody there. And I, when I pulled up there, I said, oh my God, I said, I would never, I, I, the analogy that I make is like in business, you'd be talking to a girl on a telephone and she's in whatever, she's in London and you're in New Jersey and you never meet and you go to a corporate thing and say, oh my God, this girl looks like she belongs in Playboy magazine. I didn't know they had two jets right, and, right. and everything. So I told them they didn't know what they were doing. And that's how I got on their TV show and started to write with, write for them. So it's a, we had a lot of parallels there and i honestly don't think that could happen today sadly but maybe i'm wrong yeah you uh i, I think they had a guy named machinery pete there at the time when i right. was there maybe not right was that is that was, was that did they have him and i think he's actually on rp tv every now and again or maybe, yeah he I don't is know. He, yeah machinery pete was doing uh auction sales of farm equipment and he, oh, okay. he came okay. to them okay. and then i was doing the technical side of machinery so we overlapped and then machinery pete ended up going to farm journal which obviously would be like going from chevrolet to ford and uh right. and then dave Mowitz took up the uh auction report and uh, honestly uh, i think dave did a better nothing against machinery pete but I, dave did a better job than machinery pete did but i came in as far as doing the technical aspect of machinery so okay so okay. i was okay. i was uh on their tv show for a number of years as the successful farming engine man so i was the s oh, okay great great and that's how i met uh, that's how i met a, a lot of those people but anyway let's go let's go back to you so uh now, so you're doing this, right? You got your exposure through through Meredith. You still have. Well, yeah, I knew. Yeah, and, but I was, but I was a broker, right? I was handling orders for customers, right? And right. I was buying and selling on behalf of others into the market, but that went away when when the pitch went away. Uh, I held on to a little bit of it because I could buy and sell on behalf of my customers on the screen if they didn't want to do it themselves, okay. right? So I was still being able. I was doing it, but I was probably making about twenty percent less than it was you know before, right? right. So it's an eighty percent take. Uh, but I thought, you know what, maybe there's a chance that I could uh, get this this TV thing going. And um, I got a call in oh, January of 2021 from Fox. Okay. And they said, hey, if we gave you your own show, would you be interested in moving to New York? And, of course, I didn't really want to go to New York, but I wasn't going to say no. So I said, absolutely. Uh, but they said, these things take time. 
it's not like these things happen overnight. You know, there's only a, 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 you know, a few slots for anything, but we just wanted to gauge your interest in case it comes up in meetings. We know where you stand. Right. I said, that's fine. And they probably called me back in March and said the same thing. But in I think May, I got a call from, because I was doing RFPT, like I was doing successful farming, right? Just right. once a week, I come on their, their right. new show. And they sent out, actually, they didn't call me. They actually sent out an email saying to all of the people who are on our new show, which has got to be about 30 or 40, we're, we're, we're losing a financial news anchor, John Jenkinson. Um, he's going back to Kansas. And do you know anybody who would be interested in doing it? And I thought, you know, I asked myself at the time, I'm sure it doesn't pay but it might be a way to get in. Right. Right. And so I wrote back and I gave him kind of that executive bio that I gave you. And yes. I said, I'm interested. I don't know anybody you know, per se, but I'm interested. And they right. said, well, I was in Chicago at the time. They said, can you get to uh, Omaha tomorrow? And I said, well, I looked it up. That's an eight hour drive. Not a problem. Yeah. So I hopped in the car, I uh, got to Omaha at about an hour and a half, hour and a half maybe two hours with Patrick Dodge, who owns the, owns the network. Um, and we shook hands on, on a deal. And, um, I, I got started uh, in the end of June, beginning of July. So I'm almost I'm coming up on two years. So that's when you started the Calgary Close, or just being on, on? No, no, I was just on the news for the first okay. six months, but I kept on I kept on banging on and going, I want my own show, I want my own show. And then he called me on my bluff in December of uh, December of twenty, or whatever, December twenty one. He called me on my bluff and said, "Okay, okay. January tenth, twenty twenty two, you get your own show." And then that's when. You know, I filled my pants because I decided, oh my God, you know, be careful what you wish for. Right, right, right. Um, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to find guests? Who's going to want to be on my show? Well, how am I going to do this show? You yeah. know, what's the format going to be like? I mean, it was probably the most uncomfortable Christmas break I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. Um, but we got it started. We got it off the ground of January 10th of 2021. And uh, January, January 10th of 2022, sorry. And just had our first one year anniversary uh, this January. And uh, it'll be, you know, it's been the same fan. Well, I could say that uh, you know it's it's the number one long show on the network. So wow, that's 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 fan that's fantastic. And uh, now, when did you move to Tennessee? So did you move for the Cowboy the, the day I got the, the, day, the day I got no, the day I got the job just being on you know Market Day Report. Okay, so you so, moved to Tennessee. Okay, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I, re- I I I kind of remember. Obviously, I mean, I didn't know you at the time, and uh, but I kind of remember you them announcing and you coming on and uh, and listening to you on the simulcast on the radio, and then uh, then about the cowboy clothes, and I never knew how that all came together, and uh, that's that's wonderful. And I'll, I'll have to say, you know, kudos to uh, to Patrick Gotch and kudos to r- the Rural Media Group because they too are very. Uh, uh, open to giving people who have potential and have passion a chance. And, uh, no, sure. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I own the world for that opportunity. So yeah, we'll see, uh, but, uh, yeah, well, it's, uh, well, it's wonderful that you're doing and you, and you're bringing such a different twist to the finances, to, uh, to the finance community. You're, you're exposing the, the audience of rural uh, RFD. I keep calling it rural radio, but RFD TV yeah. to, uh, other aspects of it. You're not making them a trader. You're just uh, just like, I don't want to make somebody an engineer, but I want to give them enough of a cursory knowledge. And that's what you're doing for them to understand what is happening. And it's, uh, it's something that the industry did not have. Well, I, uh, yeah, I just two things. Number one, I, I say it all the time, but I try to talk to everybody. And this is not a slam, but I, I, I want to explain it like I want to hear it explained, or my mother wants it to be explained, right? right. I don't want to be over your head. Right. And so I'm, it's not right to say dumbing it down. It's just making it just 
you know, it's like when somebody asks, when somebody asks, when I ask directions and somebody gives me some long, right. you know, I stop, I stop listening. Yes. Right? Yes. And then when I finally get to where I was, all the guy had to say, three miles straight ahead, take it right at the red barn. That's all, right? and that's all you had to say. Yeah. 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 But, but somehow that got into a half hour conversation. Crazy. And so I, I want to, I want to explain it to you. Like it's three miles straight ahead, take it right at the red barn. Right. So right. that's the number one thing. But the number two thing is Ray, and because I've been in the business for so long, and I remember you know, with our farm and, and brokers coming in from Chicago and New York, trying to tell farmers how to farm. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going to do that. No. What I want to do, you know, farmers know how to farm. Let right. them get after, get, right. you know, let them do what they got to do. But, but and that part of that is, you know, they they want you to tell, you know, when to sell their cash grain, when to, when to whatever. I said, look, I want to tell you what to do with the money you make from that business. Right. I don't want to tell you how to run that business. Right. So once you've made your money, let's talk about how you make more money with your money. That's why I talk about stocks, bonds, and commodities too. Right. But I bring everything into it because I think that that's going to be a much more interesting thing because, and I've said this live on air before, uh, the, the agricultural community in America is probably the wealthiest, most underserved investing class in the country. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's why I told you before when we first made the additional contact that that most of my audience on the radio show and my podcast has multiple revenue streams and are and and recognize that, but no one no one recognizes them. Right, and 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 they have such a thirst for this type of knowledge because nobody's ever talked to them like that before. No, and so you know it's it's, it's been a fantastic you know it's been a lot of fun and it's been. Um, it's been a great success. And then I owe it to Patrick for giving me the shot, but I, I took it in a different way that I think a lot of other people were going to try to take it. So now, you know, my viewers are generally going to be, you know, 86% of farmers in the country watch RFP TV. And, and so my viewers are generally going to be agriculturally based. A lot of them aren't, but, um, anybody can listen because I'm just telling you what to do with your money after you've made it. Right. And, and and that and that resonates. So, yeah, but I can you know I know what it looks like to be in the inside of a combine, and I know what it's like to pull a calf at two in the morning. I know what it's like to be right. in you know uh, do all that you know bale hay until I can't breathe because I'm allergic to hay. <laughs> but you know it, it's uh, but but at the same time you know I'm not there to t- you know I'm not I don't want to talk to you about you know how you, how you're going to farm and how you want to get more bushels per acre. I want to teach you how to get more cash from the cash you make. Right. Exactly, and uh, and that really, to tell you the truth, you that goes back to your dad. I mean, I I have to see going back to your dad, growing up on the banks of the Mississippi, and his hard upbringing, and but his exposure, and you and I have to say this as a third party is that the day your dad bought that farm was the true catalyst for you to become the cow guy in your success around the world. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's, I know he's very proud and he's still paying dividends and, and yes. I owe everything to him for that. If he didn't buy that farm and, and you get involved with it and seeing it, you know, you don't need to do it for, and to tell you the truth from my experience in life, whatever it's worth is that as long as you have some, you don't need to have a PhD in agriculture. You don't have to have a PhD. You need to have to be very broad based and have exposure to a lot of things. And then you were blessed with the, with the intelligence and the ability to put all of this together and and make and make something of it in a way that very few people honestly within the finance community can well i appreciate that and i don't know if it's you know i'm i'm, I'm it, 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 I, it makes me a little bit embarrassed but i i, I like that but it's uh 
I, uh, I, I, I'm lucky. Um, there's a thing. I'm the accidental, I'm the accidental, you know, commentator. I didn't mean to be this. Um, but I mean, I think it also makes it a little bit more genuine. And I think, um, it, it's, uh, I, 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 like it, like, I just never, this is not, this was never really the plan. It just kind of came together. And because that's, because that happened, it's, it's more genuine, right? It's not contrived. No, it's a hundred percent genuine, but as a Christian, I have to say it was God's plan. He, everything that happened in your life that you shared with me today over this podcast was an element in the education and the life education and the life experience of making you, we'll, well, we'll call you the cow guy, but, uh, but making you who you are. Uh, and well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I, I, you know, I took this because I took this way because I, I, I think sometimes people think, Oh, privileged background. His father did well. I mean, of course he's going to be the cow guy or whatever, but it, it was not easy at all whatsoever. And you know, the story about my, my, my dad and my, and my daughter and, and like you said, I don't know how you, I don't know how you got through that. And I don't either. <laughs> the outset, yeah. I don't either, but I often say to people, I am, uh, I'll be forever changed. It makes me cry every day. Yes. But I feel like, uh, I feel like a Vietnam war veteran that lost half of a leg. Yeah. Uh, but I wear trousers all day with a prosthetic. Right. I'm the only one that knows. I'm the only one that knows nobody else does. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, no, that's that's a hundred percent true, and it is not. I'm gonna I'm gonna use your term because I love it. A cheap segue. It's not a cheap segue for my blog, but if you were to, uh, when you get a chance, if you go to my website and read my latest blog, it's called Flags. I call it Flags Across the Harvest, but it's Who Are You Now? And I think that it will resonate with you. And uh, sure, so, sure. if you go to my website and read that, like I said, it's not a cheap segue into cattle, as you say, but it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but I really think I I, I really think that it will uh, resonate with you, and uh, you'll be able to connect with it. But to get back to now, you uh, did you have? I'm assuming that you had a house in in Chicago, so you had to sell that to me. Yeah, we to, still we 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 just decided to sell it. And we're going to okay. buy a house here. Yeah. Okay. So and you, then. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I. Uh, but I also, you know, people also need to know that, you know, life is precious. And yes. if you can't have a good time doing it, you know, it's, you might as well have fun because yeah. there's, there's a lot of hard times in life. And so I try to, I try to smile as often as I can and be as yes. happy as often as I can, because if you're going to be here, you might as well do it with a smile rather than, you know, bring everybody else down with you. So oh, exactly. I have a lot of fun. I can't, I have a very blessed life. I've got a lot of friends all over the world. I've traveled all over the world. I, Nobody's going to have to hold a tag day for me. My life has been fantastic, right, yeah. uh, but it has had its it's had, it had its ups and downs. It's, yes, uh, of course. It had, I'm I'm not going to complain. No, it had its. Uh, so so now now when you buy a house in Tennessee, are you going to look more out uh, more outside of the city, more in the city? What do you think you're going to look for? Look for anything? Uh, my right? wife, my wife. We got married in a church in the countryside of England in the Cotswolds, okay. which is pretty famous. It's eleven was eleven hundred years old. She's a one hundred percent green leaves and you know pastures person. So we're about twenty miles outside of uh, in Nashville now. We're going to probably stay around here, but I'm on five acres right now. I'm okay. just renting. I'd like to buy something like that. Okay, uh, but I but I do have a, I have a house in um, Scottsdale, Arizona. I've had for eighteen years. Okay. So we try to get there as, as often as possible too. So now your um, mom is in Arizona. Is that did she live in that house? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. No, she, she had a, no. I had a house there. And then she I bought a house there in '05. She bought one there in '09. Okay. And so uh, we were you know so we would kind of vacation together, my mom and my dad, and then uh, my dad died in 2014. So she was kind of by herself there, and 
Yeah. Everything's fine. She's just getting older and it's right. too bad. But uh, I mean, I have everybody else won't guarantee yeah, well, anything, so. yeah, that's uh that's and and the thing is that so you can look uh so you are you gonna look in the area where you're renting now for your property in your house? Yes. Oh good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Now, yeah. now, now listen, we didn't mention your sister's name. And we know nothing about your Laura, sister. My sister, no, my sister, my sister's Laura, uh, name is Laura, Laura, and she married um, uh, an engineer too, uh, okay. like yourself. And he is about to be put on the board of GATF. Okay, so that's great. that's a big railroad company in the country, and that's owned by Warren it's a big shareholder, and uh, wow. so it's the biggest, it's the biggest rail company, rail car company in the country, and he's been fantastically successful there. So they have. Uh, uh, they have a little place in Arizona, and they also have uh, a townhouse in Chicago, and they travel okay. back and forth. My sister does a, a lot of looking after my mom because her husband works, and she, she right. spends the time there. So, yes, is she the youngest? Uh, is she the youngest? Yeah, she's the youngest. She's the youngest. I used to tell her all the time when we were little that uh, they thank the lucky stars that I had a younger brother first, right. and she said, "Why?" And I said, "Because." If he was a girl, they would have stopped crying and wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, that's great that you have such a, a strong, a strong. Now, I, you may have said this in the beginning, and I was so focused on your dad. Now, is your is your is your mother f- from a Dutch ancestry? More German. More She's German. more German. I mean, yeah. Okay. Her her, her, her maiden name is uh, is very German. S O L G E R. Soldier. Okay, soldier. Okay. Okay, so she's yeah. so she's German and Dutch. Yeah, Not yeah. that much difference. Yeah. So uh that's well, that. I make the I make the I make the joke, I don't know if you saw it in my bio, but I make the joke all the time. But then my grandfather was on his way out in the mid nineties, uh, my mom's dad, um, but he was the one who was in the army and he served right. five four years in World War Two over yeah. in Italy. Um but he uh, I couldn't tell him who I worked for in London. Because I think he would have, you know, lost his mind. Because one of the first bank I worked for was a German bank, and the second one was a Japanese bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, 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 right. Deutsche, Deutsche Bank. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I can't tell. I can't tell Grandpa I worked for the German. No, 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 He might lose his mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, Well, that's how it was back then, right? I mean, the years ago, I know here in New Jersey that when the Volkswagen bug started to come in, a friend of the family worked for Hoffman LaRoche Chemical Company uh, as a production production worker in the plant and there's something happened to his car he wrecked it and somebody said a neighbor said to him well you know i, I got this volkswagen bug and uh, why don't you use that sitting here nobody's driving it and he said people are actually throwing rocks at him as he was going down the yeah. road, road with yeah. it and he said to and right. he, he gave it back it's a, it's a it's a different different world but uh <clears throat> so what obviously you trust in the lord and your life is a testament of that uh and the God has put you. So, what? Where? Where do you hope for the cow guy clothes to go to? You want it to become a God willing an hour? You want? Uh, what well, is, what yeah, is, we're thinking. We're thinking about an hour. We're thinking about an hour. Yeah. You know, um, I, you know, for for my short term goals right are we have an election coming up in twenty fourteen yeah. in November, uh, and I want to. Uh, I need a beef to show up enough so that uh, we've not had Chris Christian already. We've had. You know, some some of the legislatures, you know, like Marsha Blackburn, she's senator right. from Tennessee. We've had uh, Roger Marshall, senator from Kansas. But yeah. I want I want it to be that if you want to run for president and you want to speak to middle America, I want them to have to come to our show. That's well, what our short term goal is. Well, that's wonderful. That's something that's very needed, and hopefully, God willing, that they come to your show with sincerity. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, if, right. If that is if that is possible, what you know, Scott, you have such a. a wonderful story uh it's a story that 
that your audience, that your listeners, uh, the people who watch you on television and read you need to know. And I, I want to say that it's, it's really been an honor to get to talk to you and get to know you uh, on this level. And, Not a problem at all. And it's, a, it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely wonderful. But now, I, if the people in the audience, they could get the RFD app and then watch you on television. Is that correct? Yes. So, uh, it comes with an app. Yeah. So they could watch the cow guy close and they could uh, watch you on uh, the market day report. And now what about yeah. what about the, the radio shows that you're doing in Chicago? And in Indiana, I uh, yeah. Well, I put those I put those on over Twitter. You know, so you can listen okay. to them on Twitter or Facebook. Okay, and it's Scott the Cow. Uh, it's, uh, my name on Facebook, Scott Shelley on Facebook, and then at Scott the Cow on Twitter. Okay. You know, but I put those things up. So. Okay, um, and they could they could connect with you there. And do you have a yes. per, a personal website at all? The Cow Guy website or anything? I'm, no, I'm thinking about. No, I'm thinking about. I own one, but I, you know, it's just it's a lot of. I'm so busy right now. It's a lot right. of work, you know, because right. I also need to start a. Everybody asks about. I have a bunch of clothing line, and I have mugs and t-shirts, ball caps. Oh, okay. And okay. I want to, and I need. It. I mean, I'm working on setting it up with that website at the moment, but it's. I just don't have enough time right, right. now. No, no. like, yeah, no, I definitely do, and you want to do it right. You know, you don't want to do it, yeah. Mickey. You don't want to do it, Mickey Mouse. But I would be remiss also because I'm the hot rod farmer. And uh, what is the cow guy drive? I know there's a certain faction of my audience is going. What does he drive every day? What is, what is the cow guy drive? I, 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 you know, I love England so much. I gotta drive a Range Rover. Oh, so, a Range Rover. Okay, you drive, you drive, yeah. you drive a Range Rover. Okay, is it, uh, is, yeah. is it a uh, a newer one? No, and my dad would kill me from the grave if I bought a new car. Right, that's the dumbest <laughs> decision in the world. Okay, because there's a there's somebody. It's a different... twenty. It's a twenty twelve. It's ten years old. It's okay. a twenty twelve, and I bought it. I bought it two years ago, so it was eight years old. Oh, okay. Your dad would your dad would like that. Is it the V eight supercharged one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's nice, but it's it's you know it's definitely dated. It's definitely older, but uh, I'm not paying to drive it off a lot and lose thirty percent right away. My no, dad no, would no. Kill me. No, no. Now, uh, so it's registered in Tennessee, I would presume, right? No. It's still registered in Indiana, but it's, uh, the next time around on the plate expires, because I have a two-year lease on the or two-year uh, tag on the plate. So when it comes up, I'll do it. In, 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 in so does Tennessee have a front license plate? Does it have a what? Yes, yes, it does have its own license plate. Yeah. Oh no, it's a front. It has a front license plate or just a rear license plate? Oh no, no, there's no front. No, there's not a front. Okay, good. Then may I gift you with a hot rod farmer license plate for the front of your Range Rover? Sure, sure, sure. Sure. So, no uh, problem at all. so you know, it's a USA made hot rod farmer license plate, and uh, Austin has one in his office supposedly. And because uh, I sent him one, he sent me a picture of it. But I would be honored if the cow guy has a hot rod farmer license plate when he's driving into RFD TV every day and driving around. So uh, when you get a chance, sure, not a problem. When you get a chance, just tell me, send me an email, please, and let. Let me know uh, where you want me to mail it. I can mail it to the studio. I can mail it to your home, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you, if I mail it to your home, don't worry. Even though I'm from Jersey, I'm not going to come stalk you. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> no it's a, yeah. But listen, I've got some. I got some. I've got very good friends that live in uh, Summit. Oh, Summit, uh, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and um, one of the two around the corner. Anyway, Chatham. Chatham. Um, yeah, yeah, area, yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, matter of fact. Uh, on this same show on the road, uh, 
coming this your episode will drop next monday a week from this monday and then i'll send you okay. a, i'll send you a link to it and uh and also for your landing, I'm saying this on the air because my audience, I wear my heart in my sleeve. They know everything about me. But, and I know as your audience does also, is that I'll need for my, for the landing page, I will need for you to send some pictures if you would like, uh, whatever you want. And uh, I will have them send, send it to my, uh, my web person down in Georgia and she'll set it all up for you. And so when you get a chance, I don't want to just go on the internet and get cow guy pictures. If you want me to do that, that's hundred percent fine. But uh, so listen, Scott, I took a lot of your time and I want you to know that I will keep your mom. I mean, it sincerely, my wife and I will keep your mother in our prayers and uh appreciate that thank you and 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 i and i just want to know that you are a testament to so many things more than you give yourself credit for you're a test your your father was a testament to his his drive his tenacity his desire to make something of his life i uh, uh, appreciate it. it's very kind thank you and to be a wonderful parent and to teach you the value of a dollar the value your family his children the value of a dollar the value of hard work you've taken care of your mother you've taken care of your your father the best you can your heart was broken beyond belief and yet you still put on your pants every day and to me that's a wonderful and your faith even though we didn't talk about it you just kind of mentioned a little bit your faith in god and your belief comes through through your actions and i want to sincerely tell you and i mean this sir and i'm calling you sir because you deserve that honor that you are a blessing to those you interact with your humbleness and you are a blessing to the agricultural community with with your show the cow guy clothes and your and your reports on on our i call it rfd tv on the market day report you are a blessing to you are a blessing to all of those that have the ability to even hear your voice and i, I am honored i appreciate that thank you very much and I am honored you. that you took this time out of your busy day to share to share your life story with me, and it was wonderful. So, listen, I'm just gonna, I'm going to play my exit music, and I just want everybody to know that the cow guy is real, and check him out. And Scott, I want to thank you so much. You have a, a blessed, no blessed day. And uh, you too, brother. When you get a chance, just please send me your, your address. Thank you. And okay. All right.